Welcome to the Contrast Church Podcast. Contrast is located in Grandview, Ohio, with the mission to help people be with Jesus, become like Him, and live out His mission together. For more information on attending our meetings, our missional communities, or giving, visit contrast.church. Well, how are we doing in March? Today, we're going to talk about blindness. So if you want to turn into your book and your Bibles to John, John 9, week 17 of John. Can you believe it? Um, fun fact, we'll be finishing John during Holy Week, which is actually three and a half, three weeks away, three and a half weeks away. Palm Sunday to Easter is called Holy Week. So if you celebrate Easter, have you done that before? Palm Sunday is a week before, and so that whole week is what we call Holy Week, and it, we actually will walk through the Bible in that time with, with an app. We'll celebrate Monday Thursday, which is like where Jesus is last night with the disciples. We'll emulate that. Friday, we'll do Good Friday service. Easter, we'll just party, and so it'll be great. So just mark your calendars and all that. I'm excited for that, but John is, we're following John up to that point, um, and so we're in week 17 of John, and I'm, I'm already given in a way that we're going to talk about a man who was blind at birth receiving sight. I have a good story to start us off with this. I was at a pastor's conference last week in the Chick-fil-A capital of the world, Atlanta. Also the Coca-Cola capital, but come on now. Chick-fil-A is way more prominent. Uh, and uh, we just went to some different churches and learned. It was, it was really great. It was like a fire hose of, of wealth of knowledge. And uh, one of the pastors had told this story about how he traveled to um, Cambodia and uh, was doing this mission trip at like a church and had felt this deep tug to pray for this woman who was blind, that she would receive sight, and to have everyone else do it with her. Um, and I don't know if you've ever been to, like, a camp where, like, someone's, like, in a wheelchair, and they're like, we're going to pray that this person, you know, will walk. And, and uh, you know, I've heard stories, and it is a high, high-pressure situation, right? Like, you're either, everyone walks out being like, you know, that didn't work, or they're like, oh, my gosh, right? Um, and so he felt really called and convicted to do this, and so he just, like, got everyone, and they all laid hands on this lady, and they prayed that she would receive sight, and she did not. And everybody walked away pretty discouraged. Um, and I tell that because we still live in a world where we want and yearn things uh, for Jesus to do. And, and, and they actually, we would argue, are just incredibly righteous. Like, there's, there's nothing wrong with wanting someone to be able to be healed, right? That's a very righteous call. Uh, and so what I want to do over the next few minutes is is just navigate what Jesus' priority is in the healing and what that looks like. And that becomes the barometer for when we pray and we ask for things, uh, what that can look like. And so John chapter 9, um, this, is, this is a continuation of last week. Last week was the end of the Feast of the Tabernacles. Jesus is being provocative and teaching things in the middle of everyone who's home for, in Jerusalem for this week to celebrate. And, uh, and he says, I am the light of the world. One of the I am statements we have in the book of John. And he says, I am the light of the world. I am he. They're ready to throw stones at him, and he escapes. And then on his way, it says in verse 1, he basically stumbles upon a man who was born blind from birth. Now, I think you already know where this is going, right? He said, I am the light of the world as a teaching. And now he's going to show that he's the light of the world by letting a guy see light and see, see be able to see, right? Um, I'm spoiling the whole story. But that's, that's where it's going, right? You can kind of tell, oh, I get it. That's like... Word and deed, right? That's the, that's the follow of Jesus, is that we follow his teaching and his deeds, right? That we, that we enact out the truths. Um, and that's how Matt, John is entirely set up. John is, the whole book, is focusing primarily on seven signs, that miracles, and seven teachings, or we call them discourses. And those seven together 
the number of completion in the Jewish culture is seven. Maturity, completion, wholeness is proven that Jesus is, is, is complete in fulfilling of the, the Jewish law and what God had wanted for them through both teaching and the life of the kingdom and also the power of the kingdom that he can heal and, and do all these different things. And so we're in sign number five today, um, and we are going to see a man who's been born blind receive sight. So let's dive in. Uh, this story has, it's, it's, it's actually probably, there's more about the people that respond to this and there's about the healing itself, which shows you that when Jesus moves powerfully, I think it has far more ripple effects than we realize. And in this case, that is, that is the story. So in verse 1, Jesus passing by, he saw a man who had been blind from birth, and the disciples asked him, Rabbi, who committed the sin that caused this man to be born blind, this man or his parents? Jesus answers them, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but he was born blind, so the acts of God may be revealed through what happens to him. We must perform the deeds of the one who sent me as long as it is daytime, and night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said this, he spat on the ground and made some mud with his saliva. He smeared the mud on the blind man's eyes and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So the blind man went away and washed, and he came back seeing. Now, this little story has a lot to it. Uh, it it's important to know that um, if, you were, had a, if you were born with an ailment or a disablement, blind, mute, um, you know, leper, leprosy was a huge thing, right? Uh, you were unclean and you were typically outcast. Like, because people were assuming that because you were that, there was some sort of generational sin or curse or God just you know, doesn't love you for whatever reason. You did something wrong. I don't want to be near that, right? You know, like, um, and, and that was the way that they lived. Same as with, like, if we had a witch doctor down the street, we probably wouldn't want to, like, hang out with them too much, right? Because you're like, is this all going to come out on me? That was how they treated these people. And so they were poor, and they were typically beggars. That's their only option. And we find out later he is a beggar. And I think about this tangibly. Like, I, there's a guy on King Ave over here by Wendy's. That's his place, right? He's there every time. Every time I drive by, I'm not going anywhere. He's probably not going anywhere. And there, there develops this weird familiarity with him, right? Like, where I have to decide... Okay, do I like give him food? Do I give him money? Do I ignore him, right? And but there is a difference knowing that he's gonna be there next time, and I'm gonna be there next time, right? It's one thing to go to another city and find a homeless person to give him money and then pray with him and then never never talk to him again because you're like, well, whatever will happen will happen. It's another thing when you like know this person, right? And you're like, this person, uh, if you didn't know this, homeless people are very territorial. Like this person, this is their place, right? And um, because of that, this is a very similar feeling that people would feel in Jerusalem because beggars wasn't a very big city. Beggars had their places, and a lot of them would wait on the way to the temple, and people would have to give money to the temple, so they'd have money, they'd ask for money on the way. And so you would know this person and where he stands, and you probably, after a while, would just stop, start ignoring him, right? As many of us do with homeless people, right? And, um, and so he's sitting here his whole life, right? Born blind, uh, this is his life, right? And um, the only th fortunate thing is he doesn't, have to be able to see that people aren't looking, like aren't acknowledging him, right? But I'm sure you can feel it after a while, begging. And so this man's sitting there, and Jesus notices him, right? And he turns probably to him, and the disciples are dealing with the age-old question in this culture of who committed the sin that this man's blind, right? There has to be a sin that would implicate him to be blind. Was it him, or was it his parents? And the hard part, and why they're struggling, why this was the debate in the culture, the Jewish culture, was, well, he is born blind. So, like, he just come out sinning, like, what, why were other babies not blind when they're born? Like, what did they do differently, right? Or, or did his parents do things, they didn't have right standing before God, they didn't do sacrifices, they sinned and didn't, didn't atone, or they, you know, and God is punishing them, right? 
And that was how people treated infertility as well. Like if you were infertile, typically it's like, oh, God is like punishing me and, you know, and, and, and I need to get right with God, right? And that's the assumption. And so they're like, Jesus, settle this for us, right? Everyone wants to know. And he's like, neither, <laughs> classic Jesus, right? Uh, and what he says is it seems, it's, it seems a little harsh when you actually read it. He says, he was born this way so the acts of God may be revealed through what happens to him. And you would think, man, was that man born blind and suffered his entire life just for this one moment? Like, it feels like God is using him as like a pawn, you know? And I read a lot of commentary on this because I was also like, yeah, it just seems kind of brutal. Because what about other blind people who are born blind and then never receive sight? Like, is God just like, oh, I forgot about you and like, sorry, you know? No, the point is that lots of people are born. We live in a world that's not the way it should be. We live in a world that sin has not only objective sin that I commit, is not only present. There is just the world of brokenness. Sin causes fractures in the world, right? And I've, I've said this before, like, it's one thing to ask for forgiveness to the Lord from your personal sins. Once you start thinking about societal sins, once you start th- thinking about the world and our nation and countries and how we're, you know, like, just sinning as a culture and as a world, you're like, well, that's, like, next level. And the ramifications of that, right? Someone else's sin has ripple effects, nine people through. Does that make sense? Like someone that I buy, uh, you know, a really cheap deal that, that promotes slave labor across the country is causing somebody to live in poverty and not be able to eat at night, right? Like, and, and am I responsible for that? You know, that's a great ethical question. But at the end of the day, sin causes ripples, right? And it affects the entire world. And so that's just the world that we live in. People have cancer at young ages. People have hardships. It doesn't seem fair, right? And, and that's the, the nature of this. And so Jesus's healing is more about showing the truth of the light of eternity than it is about the time at which this man was blind, if that makes sense. And so what he's saying is, would you like to be blind for your earthly experience and then be able to see the truth and the light in heaven forever? Or would you rather be uh, able to see on earth and then blind when it comes down to it and you don't go to heaven, right? You go to hell and you're like, whoa, I would gladly take take the, the first, right? I'd rather be blind or not be able to walk and then be able to be, like, have new life for eternity. Everything that we experience on earth is a small, just small glimpse of eternity, right? It, it's, it's inconsequential to what we will experience in eternity. And so Jesus is getting at that by saying, hey, I'm the light of the world, right? And then he's like, let me show you a little glimpse of what that looks like, right? Because Jesus didn't stay around on earth forever. He didn't heal every single person. I'm sure there were other people in Jerusalem who weren't healed, Right? So the, the point of this is that Jesus cares much more about eternity than he does about that exact moment, but he's also using that exact moment to speak to eternity. And that's why we call these signs not just miracles, because a sign, as you know, is pointing to something, right? And a sign in this case is pointing to this deeper idea of Jesus being the light of the world for all people and, and being able to remove from the darkness. And so the actual healing is interesting because he calls his disciples, we must perform the deeds of the one. He's including them, and he's kind of slowly allowing them to engage in his ministry and eventually, like, you know, sends them out, and then in Acts, they're doing all their stuff, right? But the way that he does this is really interesting. Uh, he spits on the ground, makes some mud, rubs it on the guy's eyes, right? I don't know, the guy's blind. Who knows if he knew what he actually did, right? He might have been like, oh, this is some really, like, bougie essential oil cream, you know? <laughs> I hope it works, right? Uh, you never know, right? Um, but why did he do that? Well, we're not entirely sure, but what we can know for without a doubt is that by making mud on the Sabbath, which is the Sabbath day, causes controversy because he's working. You're not allowed to do that. Uh, you're not allowed to make mud on the Sabbath. If any of you really want to do that, okay, don't do it, all right? Um, yeah, no gardening, no. Um, but 
He does that and, and spits on the spaces, whatever, and then puts it in his eyes. Now, what's interesting is he's done other, in other gospel accounts, he's healed other people with blindness right away, right? One time he spits on his hand, rubs his eyes, and he immediately can see Jesus. This time he does this, he puts the, the mud on his eyes, and then he asks him to go. He doesn't heal him right there. He asks him to go, and he says, go to the pool of Siloam, which John tells us is, means sent. Um, and if you're a little, if you're a little uh, geography history nerd, this is really, really exciting, okay? The pool of Siloam, which we originally thought was the pool of Siloam, just 20 years ago, we found the real pool of Siloam, 2004. Isn't that crazy? So here's a photo of Jerusalem and what we believe to be the city lines originally. If you look in that red circle, the top right of the red circle, there's like a little square. That's where the... Uh, historic pool of Siloam is. It's inside the temple walls, and that would be, that's, and that's, you know, in the Bible we have accounts of like them being attacked and sieged, and they were able to get, still get water, and that's why it was there. Uh, but just recently, 20 years ago, they were doing some excavating on the outside of the wall for sewer lines, and they bumped like stone, and they dug it all up, and it's the original pool of Siloam. And they realized that that was like a channel, you know, that they had from it. And so th- this next photo this is the discovery of the Pool of Siloam. You can see the sewer pipe running through the ground. Beautiful, beautiful picture, right? Uh, I'm sure the Historic Society is thrilled about that one. But uh, and if you can look, it's, you know, it would be like almost like it would be like a little pool, like the side, and you'd walk down in it and all that, right? And then, um, so that's, that's most likely where he went. Outside the city gates, probably a decent walk. Had to have somebody doing it with him, unless he had the whole city memorized. Highly doubtful, right? Um, and then the other one you can show, this is what, you know, the one inside the walls, this is what it looks like today. That was the original one. Um, and so it's possible he could have went there uh, as well, but that one would be more of just a channel. In fact, the word sent, what it means is it's a channel of water coming from a main source. So it's likely that they named it that because it was not, it was coming from another water source. But if you're interested and you go to uh, Jerusalem, you, you know, you can, you can uh, see this. You saw the other ones dried up right now, but... Um, that's where he goes. And the reason why that matters is because this man, and we'll, we'll get some context clues in a moment, this man doesn't really know Jesus, actually. He doesn't really know anything about him. And he, this guy puts some mud on his eyes, and he's like, go to that pool and wash, you know? And if you're him, you're like, who knows? Maybe you've, you've had lots of people come to you and try to heal you in your life. Or you've paid money, and you've tried to, like, receive healing, right? Or, or, you've, or at this point, maybe you're just like, I don't even want to do it. Like, I, I'm going to be blind. I'm going to accept this. This is my life, right? But for whatever reason, he decides to get up and to go. And, and maybe some other people cheer him on because, like I said, he probably had to be helped down there. Um, and he goes and he washes in the pool. And sure enough, right, he can see. And, uh, you know, I've tried to, like, watch. I was going to play a video of, like, people who can receive sight for the first time, right? I don't know if you've seen those videos. Like, they'll get implants or whatever, and they record, like, somebody seeing for the first time. And they're always so beautiful, but it's still just, like, I just cannot relate. Like, I cannot imagine what that feels like, right? And you probably can't either. Um, I, the only thing, this is terrible, the only thing I could think of that was a fraction of this was my ear had been clogged for the last week. I couldn't hear out of my right ear. And, uh, and it was so aggravating. Like, I don't know if you, it's just, it's, if you've ever had it, it's the worst. Everything sounds weird. You can't hear what people are saying. Even when you eat, it like is annoying. Finally, it just released for whatever reason. And I'm like, thank you, Lord. Like, thank you for removing this from me, you know? And I still wasn't, you know, a beggar homeless because of that, right? Nor had they been my whole life. But even just in seven days, it's like, praise you, Lord. All good things flow from you, right? And, and that's, that, that sounds terrible. That's a fraction, right, of what this man probably experienced. And we would all agree. Um, but he, he sees sight, right? And, and it's just this, like, small step that he has of believing. He knows nothing about Jesus. He knows nothing about the theology of 
the Messiah and his teachings, and you know, maybe he heard some things about this guy healing people, but he knows nothing, and he's just like, I'm just going to take my next step, right? I'm just going to take these steps, and I'm going to trust, and I'm willing to risk being wrong, being humiliated, right? Going into this pool, washing my eyes of the spit dirt, and being like, I'm still blind, you know? Right? That's the truth. He doesn't know for sure. And many of us, you know, we've had that moment where we're like, man, is following Jesus really worth it? Is this really true? Should I really stake my whole life on this? What if people are making fun of me? What if I start to feel doubts? What, you know, we have those moments where we're like, is this worth the embarrassment, right, of walking this out and seeing what happens? Just like that guy in, in, in uh, Cambodia, right, who uh, was like, we're going to pray for this woman. And then how embarrassing, right? Oh, God didn't show up, right? The rest of the story is actually, though, less about the sign and more about the neighbors and the people around it who saw it. And this is where we'll get into the meat here. Verse 8, the neighbors and the people who had seen him previously as a beggar, see what I said, they know where they're at, they've seen them. He said, this is not the man, this is not the man who used to sit and beg. And people said, this is the man. Other people said, no, it just looks like him. The man, and then the man kept insisting, I am the one. And so they asked him, how then were you made to see? He replies, the man called Jesus. That's what I'm saying. He, I mean, he barely even knows this guy. The man called Jesus, made mud, smeared it in my eyes. You notice he doesn't say spit. Who knows if he knew? But made mud, <laughs> smeared it in my eyes, and told me, go to Siloam and wash. And so I went and washed and was able to see. And they said to him, where is that man? He said, I don't even know, right? I don't even know. It's a good Samaritan came up did this, and I don't even know. And so, you know, what's so cool is when we see freedom in people's lives, it causes a, huh? It causes a moment of like, what is going on? And we, we forget that often. We forget that our life change can be a, a, a ability to propel someone else's life change, right? That's how God works, through other people in community. You see someone experience freedom from some addiction or from uh, some just struggle or, or just, like, character flaw they've been working through, right? Like, you see that, and you're like, man, that's so amazing, and that's encouraging to you, even though you haven't even received that, that uh, fruit. So all these neighbors are like, this is crazy. And so what do they do? Verse 13 Cue the Pharisees, the buzzkill, wah, 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 right? They bring him uh, to the Pharisees in verse 13. And the reason why they're doing this, it says in verse 14, now on the day which Jesus made the mud, caused him to see it was the Sabbath. So it's either the same day or they, he healed him on the Sabbath. The next day they take him to the synagogue. You do this because when you are healed, you have to go through a ceremonial washing to be considered clean, which means you're allowed then in the synagogue and all that, temple. And so they're, they're probably doing this because they they got to do this, and it has to go through the Pharisees, the religious leaders, and, and they get there, and, uh, and then they also heal him on a Sabbath, so that's the whole controversy, right? And so the Pharisees say, this man is not from God, uh, or sorry, they, before that they asked, the Pharisees asked him in 15, how, how again was he, did he gain his sight? And he replies, he put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and now I am able to see. He's very simple about this. Few word, do trick, right? He doesn't need to add a lot, and he... Uh, and the Pharisees are like, this, this can't be, right? They say in 16, this man is not from God because he wouldn't do this on the Sabbath. We were observing the Sabbath, and he worked. Now, we know if you've been following John or even read the other Gospels, Jesus does a lot of things on the Sabbath. Busy. He's busy on the Sabbath, and they don't like that, right? And before he was picking heads of grain off the field, they're like, you can't do that, right? And he healed another lame man on the Sabbath, and they're like, you can't do that, and and then he's, he's had several good arguments, right? One, David, on the Sabbath, broke into the temple, ate the, the, the holy bread because he was hungry and he didn't die. So what do you do with that, guys? And he says, another one, he says, um, how many of you guys have had an oxen fall into mud, which I guess is really common out there, have had, an, have had an oxen fall into mud and your friend comes and helps you pull it out, right? On the Sabbath. And they're like, oh, shoot, we do that as well, 
right? And he's like, y'all are ridiculous. And so he's making this mud, and they're like, oh, he's, he's doing it again on the Sabbath, right? They're running out of ideas. It's clear. They need to go on Reddit or something and get some new ideas because they're running out of things to pin him on. And they're like, well, he did this on the Sabbath. And so they're, 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 in, they're divided. He says, others say, how can a man who is a sinner, because if, if you don't observe the Sabbath, you're sinning, perform such miraculous signs? And thus there was division among them. Some of them were like, this man can't have done that. And others was like, well, he did it. So is he a sinner or not? Or has God let sinners heal people? And so they're just arguing. And so again, they asked the man who used to be blind, what do you say about him since he caused you to see? This poor man has just received sight. Now he's before all these Pharisees on like basically like, a trial, like an informal trial. And they know, he knows that if he says he's like the Christ, he's going to get thrown out, maybe arrested, maybe even killed. Imagine being like, I can see. Oh, now I'm executed, right? Like, that's just not good. So he is smart, and he says, but he also doesn't really know Jesus. So I don't know. It's hard to say how smart he is, but he says he is a prophet, right? Which is true. Jesus is the great prophet. He's not wrong, but he doesn't say he's the Christ. He doesn't say he's God, and he doesn't really probably even know because he barely even knew who Jesus was. But he says he's a prophet, and that's a really good political answer, to be honest. He doesn't get thrown into jail, but also they're like, oh, you know, he can't be a prophet. He's healing on the Sabbath. And so then the Jewish leaders, you know, they're, they're not finding any good Reddit uh, answers, and so they, they bring in, let's bring in his parents, right? That'll surely solve it. And so in verse 18, the religious leaders refused to believe that he had really been blind and gained his sight until they at last summoned the parents of the man who had been able to see. They asked the parents, is this your son whom you say was born blind? Then how does he now see? So his parents replied, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but we do not know how he was able to see, nor do we know who caused him to see. Ask him. He's a mature adult. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they were afraid of the Jewish religious leaders, for the leaders had already agreed that anyone who confessed Jesus to be the Christ would be put out of the synagogue, basically shunned. For this reason, his parents said, he's a mature adult. Ask him. Man, mom and dad are just really not helping, right? Like, you get a speeding ticket there at court, and they're like, I don't know, ask him if he speeded. You're like, Mom, Dad, come on, help me out here. They, they don't want to get thrown out of the synagogue either. In fact, they have had to deal with their son's generational sin, right? They were for their, their whole, his whole life. Um, in fact, other countries today still do this, right? They have a baby with a disablement, and they give them away because it brings shame on their family, and, uh, and it's embarrassment to society. Uh, I have a pastor friend who's adopting a Indian boy, the whole orphanage is just, they just have disables and they don't want them because it's, it's considered cursed. Um, and, and so, you know, this lens, it's really important to think about our lenses in the world, right? We are, there's four main lenses that how we view religion, how we view God, how we view brokenness. Ours in America is a guilt righteousness lens. That means that we, we, we absorb the guilt of sin and we want to see God bring us clean through that. Other parts of the world, like in Asia, is a high... Um, honor shame culture and so like people in, in Asian cultures will sometimes do things their family wants them to do that we would be like that's bad boundaries because they don't want to dishonor their family like that is a huge life staple is not never to bring shame upon your family um, and then in parts of Africa it's a heavy fear power lens people want to see the power of God over fear and that's why you'll hear these crazy stories about witch doctors casting spells on people and bullets bouncing off because there's, that's just the way in which they want to see God in their lives um, and then in the Middle East is primarily a uh, clean, unclean culture. So what makes you unclean and clean is how you live your life. And in this context, these parents have dealt with the uncleanliness of their son affecting their own reputation. And, and they're like, we just don't want to get kicked out of the synagogue. Like, do you blame him? You know what I mean? Like, ask our son. 
he'll, he'll tell you, like, we don't want to cause a stink here. We've already probably been judged for this for years. And so the man, they summon him again. He used to be, uh, in verse 24, they say, promise before God to tell the truth. They're like, please make up another story. <laughs> please, we're, you know. And he, uh, we know this man's a sinner. And he replies, I do not know whether he is a sinner. I do know one thing, that although I was blind, now I can see. And that'd be great um, if you stopped there. Then they say, what did he do to you? How did he cause you to see? And he says, I told you already and you didn't listen. What do you want to hear it again? You people don't want to become his disciples too, do you? This is spicy, okay? Because he's implying that he wants to be Jesus' disciple. Um, but he's also like, you guys seem pretty obsessed with this guy. Maybe you should follow him too. Um, not a good line to say. Um, and, uh, and you know they hate it because the next verse. They heaped insults on him, saying, you are his disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses. We do not know where this man comes from. And the man replied, this is a remarkable thing that you don't know where he comes from, and yet he caused me to see. Interesting, right? We know, and he says, we know, and he's like, all of us, yeah. Now, I'm clean, so all of us, our crew, we know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but if anyone is devout and does his will, God does listen to him. Never before has anyone heard of someone causing a man born blind to see. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They replied, you were born completely sinfulness, or in complete sinfulness, and yet you presume to teach us. And so they threw him out. I love this. Uh, they're like, uh, they're just running out of options. You know? And I said this last week, when you're in an argument with someone and you know you got them, they'll just start to squirm, right? And bring up other stuff or call you names, right? Or whatever, like, you just know, like, they just, this is not, they just got nothing, right? And that is where they're at. And um, we can actually fact check them. This is real fun. Uh, imagine being fact checked thousands of years later by what you said. Um, but two chapters before this, Jesus is in the temple and he, they're arguing about where he came from, right? And they're like, and he's like, you don't know where I come from, I come from the Father. And, um, and they're like, they're arguing with him and they say, in that moment, in verse uh, 27, chapter 7, they say, we know where this man comes from. Whenever the Christ comes, no one will know where he comes from. And then today, they just said, we, uh, we don't know where this man comes from. Figure out your story, Pharisees, okay? Be consistent. You know, that's when you know you're not doing well, when you're like, you're, you're not even consistent with what you're saying. Just two days ago, they're like, yeah, like, we, uh, we know where he comes from. And the Christ, we won't know where he comes from. And then, to, like, literally the next day, well, we don't know where he comes from. But darn it, wait, maybe we, you know, they're just like, they're just, wherever they're at, they're trying their best here, but they're really not doing very well because we can fact check them, which is great. And so they're just, they're just contradicting themselves. It's not going well. And then this, this blind man is just kind of like egging on the whole tension. And he's like, we all know, you know, I love how he says we. It's like, I'm a part of the club now because I'm clean. So like, we all know God doesn't like listen to sinners, you know, but us like righteous people who do the will of God, he will listen to them, right? And they're like, you're a sinner, get out, right? Um, and now what he's saying is, is important. It's a theological truth that we have to get right. He's not saying that if, if we're sinners, God doesn't listen to us because if that was the case, why are we even praying, right? Like, um, what he is getting at is this idea, and this is Jesus' teaching, is that those who do the will of God, those who obey me, those who follow my steps, God hears. Why does God hear them? Because we are engaging in, in, in embodying the belief and the following of our rabbi. And so what he's saying is when we pray the will of God, God, yes, might do it differently than what we want, but God hears us and God listens, and we have to just trust that he clearly is seeing things that we're not seeing. And so he's basically saying, guys, look, like, if he's doing the stuff of God, he's gotta be, God's got to love him in some way, Right? 
What are you guys going to do about that? And then they're just like, well, you don't have any more credibility because you were born a sinner, right? Even though he's clean now, they're like, well, you were a sinner, so get out of here. And they kick him out, and the, you know, the man is, it's, just, it's a wild few days for him, right? They can't handle the teaching. And so the, it leaves us with this tension of like, if you were to stop the story here, you're like, okay, there's the pride of the Pharisees. Then there's this man who's just trying to figure out, like, what does it mean to follow Jesus? What, what steps do I, he has no idea. He's just kind of learning as he goes. He starts to defend Jesus more and more. And then, and then we have this moment where Jesus meets up with him. It says in verse 35, Jesus heard that he had been thrown out, um, potentially out of the synagogue forever, but probably just in the informal, like, um, you know, uh, court they were kind of, like, having with him. Uh, he's thrown out. So he found the man, and he said to him, Do you believe in the Son of Man? The man replied, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus told him, You have seen me, or seen him. He is the one speaking with you now. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. And Jesus says, for judgment I have come into this world so that those who do not see may gain sight and the ones who see may become blind. Now, this moment is is really beautiful because, you know, imagine being able to see from the waters and you're seeing for like the first day of your life. Like everyone, you're just like, whoa, you look like that, right, or whatever. And he goes through these trials, and then Jesus comes up to him and speaks. And the man's like, oh, my gosh, right? That's the guy. And he says, do you believe, essentially, in this whole son of man thing? And the guy, his response is like, I'll believe whatever you tell me. Like, you are a prophet at minimum. You are, have the words of life, right? And Jesus says, the one you're speaking to, that's, that's him. And the man's response is just, it implies he falls on the ground and worships him. It's the only time in the whole Gospel of John that this phrase is used on someone worshiping Jesus. And it's just this deep sense of awe and reverence and gratefulness and gratitude. He just falls on his knees and he just praises him. And, and it, it's such a beautiful moment because, you know, Jesus is not just saying, I'm the light of the world and I will free you from darkness. It's bad, but then I'm bringing you into the light. I'm bringing you into something beautiful. And I just think it's so cool to think that he gets to, like, you know, within the first day, see Jesus, the glory of God and his power, having to trust in that without seeing any of that beforehand, right? Just trying to walk the walk into the pool, hoping that this God is really who he says he is. And, and then Jesus says this phrase, for, for judgment I have come to the world. And he says, so those who can't see may see and those who, are blind, or those who can see may be blind. What he's doing here, and this is another reminder, a lot of times we write off the Pharisees and we say, well, Jesus was super harsh with them because they were prideful and, uh, and they just, they never had a chance, Right? I don't know if you've noticed the last few weeks, and even this week specifically, we'll realize that Jesus gives them a lot of chances to, to, to accept the invitation. He just does it on their terms. How do you break through pride? Right? How do you get through somebody's assumptions about who, how great they are and how little they need Jesus and all that? That's a very hard question, right? I'm sure all of us are navigating that with relationships right now. How do we deal with pride? Um, how do we deal with our own personal pride? Some of we don't even know we have, Right? And we have blind spots. We, you know, a lot of it's just complex. It's very nuanced. Um, how do we deal with pride? And, and Jesus, we just take a play out of Jesus' book, right? He's harsh with them sometimes. But listen to this. So the next verse, some of the Pharisees who were with him heard this. He said, those who are blind may gain sight. Those who can see will be blind. And they're like, uh-oh, we can see. And so they, they, they ask him, are we, we are not blind too, are we? I think that's a genuine question because they're, they're all the, the divided about if Jesus was really who says he was and all that. And they followed him to this guy. 
And they're like, shoot, are we blind too? Like, are we, is he, are we, is he talking about us? And he says, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. He's basically saying, once again, this man is not blind because of sin, because of the sin he committed. Um, and then he says, but now, because you claim that you can see your guilt remains. He's saying, because you are prideful, that is where you have now found yourself guilty before God. God opposes the proud, but favors the humble, right? That's in James and many other places in the Bible. The pride of our hearts causes blindness. The Pharisees on earth could see uh, to death and after they will not. The man who is blind on earth will see forever. And that's this, this beautiful invitation Jesus gives, one to the blind man who had nothing to lose, but also to the Pharisees to humble themselves and to say, the fact that you're, you're thinking that you can see means even more that you're in sin and you're blind. And for us, that's just, I think, a hammer to our chest. It's just like, man, even in my greatest moments, I have the ability to be blind to the, to the will of God. And the only difference is this man had nothing to lose, right? That's a blessing, that's a blessing that he didn't have to factor his 401k and his influential status and his followers and how big his house was to make this decision. He didn't have to worry about any of that. He's like, I'm just desperate and I am a beggar and you know what? Let's do it. Let's go for it. But he still gives these guys an opportunity. It just looks very different because they have to humble themselves, which I think is the hardest thing to do, especially when everything in life looks like it's going really well and you've created a life that everybody else would want. Why would I humble myself when I have a great job? Why would I humble myself when my kids are happy? Why would I humble myself when, um, you know, I've married the, the best person ever, right? Like, why would I do that? I don't really need that. And Jesus is like, I'm telling you, you're blind. And, and this moment is just, everybody has the opportunity to see Jesus, right, through their blindness. The man sees Jesus by taking the step of belief. And what I love about it is the man had no theological understanding. He didn't know anything about Jesus. He's like, I'm just going to trust in this, in this man, and I'm just going to take that next step. And then the Pharisee's next step is just different, right? And so for all of us, what is that step, whether it's our first step or our 500th step, that we have to willingly lower ourselves, and the response is worship, right? It's worship on our faces. Um, back to the story in, uh, in Cambodia. Uh, after the pastor had unfortunately really ruined the mood by not healing this woman of her sight, uh, he goes to his hotel, he's on the elevator, and uh, this woman comes on with him, and it's just a short elevator ride, and she just sees, like, his shirt or something like that, and she's like, oh, you know, you're a Christian. He's like, yeah, I'm here for a missions thing, and, I, and he just is, like, honestly, like, yeah, it's been a pretty rough day. You know, I try to pray for this woman that she might uh, be able to see, and the woman's like, well, do you have, like, a photo of her eyes? And he's like, uh, I mean, I, I actually do, and so he pulls out his phone. He, like, shows her a photo of her eyes, and she looks at it, and she looks at him, and she says, Meet me back down in the lobby in three hours, <laughs> which I'm like, this is where you die, right? Like, uh, and so sure enough, he meets her back down in the lobby in three hours, and she's she's basically like, hey, um, I am I'm a huge like uh, board member for an optometry uh, company, and I'm traveling, you know, internationally, and I just called the embassy, and I just called one of the top or uh, uh, um, optometry sur- surgeons in a couple, a couple countries over, and they're going to fly here this week, and, and she just needs new corneas, and we're going to give her a cornea transplant, and she's going to see. And he's just like, so they gave her the info. A week later, he gets a photo, and this woman is seeing, right? And, and you know, in the moment, you just feel like such an idiot. You're like, I swear I hear the verse of God. I swear God would want this, and God does want that. Uh, but the steps that he had to take that whole time, you know, was a, was 
a, just a time of feeling like a fool. And God, I think, just wanted him right in that space. Uh, and so for us, it's like I imagine the blind man in some way walking down to that pool. That was the moment faith became real. It wasn't when he was healed. It was the fact that he was willing to trust in what Jesus could do for him. And I just think about that in our lives today, that, that the, the pride that blinds us um, wants us to stand our ground, wants to stay with what we, how we live and who we are, and it doesn't want us to move forward because there's the fear of what if I'm wrong, what if this is stupid, what if this doesn't work out the way that I want it to? And Jesus is saying, you can trust me because I'm the light of the world and I bring light into every area of darkness. And I'm doing that here in front of this guy and you have the opportunity as well, Pharisees who are blind, and that will be eternity, right? So that's the story of the blind man and you can see how beautifully John has woven that into the story. Um, and so what I want us to do as we wrap up, normally we do a time of formation. We have four things we're going to do. Um, but this time we're actually going to wait on the bread and cup. We're actually going to take that together as a community. And so there's three things you can do. We have people in the back who would love to pray for you. Um, I would say if you're like, man, what's my next step? Or I know what my next step is and I'm terrified. Um, or I've taken a lot of steps and I feel stuck. This is the time to put that before the Lord because the Lord, Lord loves to hear our prayers. Um, and so you can do that with people in the back. And then also... Just reflect. I think one of the things that I was most cut by in reflection is just gratitude for the Lord meeting me and seeing me and um, just being grateful. Like what, what the Lord has done in my life, the many ways that I had no idea what he would do and how he would do it, but I just tried to take that next step and the Lord met me there. Um, and so just spend some time, I think, just in gratitude for that. Um, and then lastly, we have the uh, giving box in the back. We call it the bringing box because we believe in giving that we're not giving anything that isn't already God's. We're just bringing it back to him as a form of worship and obedience and trust. And so you can do that as well. Um, and then we're going to hold off on the bread and cup. And uh, in a couple minutes, I'm going to come back up and we're actually going to take that all together. So I'll give you some space for these three things that I just mentioned. And if you would love prayer, I'll be there. There'll be people in the back. Pray with your neighbor. You can never pray too much. Uh, and so if you've got a step that you feel like the spirit is communicating with you, we'd love for you to take that and, uh, and what better, what, what better time to do it than with other people who are walking in the same direction? So we'll give you some time, and then we'll all come back up in a little bit. Thank you for listening to the Contrast Church Podcast. To learn more about us and how you can be a part of it, visit contrast.church.